Good morning, I'm Rob Thompson. Our reading this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. The word of the Lord. It's really lovely to see you all. As Johnny said, my name is Dean Miller, and I'm a longtime friend and lover of this church. You feel a little bit like my own, a little proprietary, so it's lovely to see your faces. I keep my string alive. I, I preached when you were at the elementary school, the high school, the American Legion on an icy morning, for those of you who are there, that which was always fun because you could preach there, then go down, have a beer, a cigarette, and watch the NFL before you left church. <laughs> And then now, and Johnny's at living room, and now I'm here. So, either you can't get rid of me or I'm stalking you, one of the two. So, it is a real joy to be with you, and I've been praying for you and been watching and obviously keeping in touch with how you're doing with Johnny. So, it's really fun to be together with sort of critical mass. Our church has been meeting outside and inside and being flexible the way you guys have been over, for over a year. And... Um, it's still a gift to be able to kind of see three-dimensional people. So I'm so glad we're here. Uh, I'm sorry for you that the sun has come out, and some of you are going to have to wrestle with God about why I don't have hair while we're together. So <laughs> when the glare is off my head, I'm really sorry. That's what part of our time together is going to be. But I'm not in charge of the cloud cover, sadly. <laughs> I want you to think for a second, maybe even after this year we've had together, and if we were together in a smaller setting, and I said, tell me about yourself, how would you describe yourself? Like, what would you use to define who you are? Okay, tell me about yourself. Think about categories you would use, probably relationships, work, past, history, family, your parents. Tell me about who you are. 
This week I had a chance to watch a movie I've been wanting to watch for a long time called IP Man. Any of you familiar with IP Man and a martial arts film? It's actually a series of films that star a man named Donnie Yee. Most of us know Donnie best as the really cool Jedi, the blind Jedi in Rogue One, who walks around saying, I am the Force, and the Force is with me as he just destroys people, right? He's really fantastic in Rogue One. And he has a long history in martial arts films. He's from Hong Kong, and he's the star of IP Man, which tells, based on a true story, tells the story of a, a, a man who started a form of Kung Fu training from China, and this begins sort of his own identity transformation, who he is and his understanding of himself as he's in a small village in China that's invaded by the Japanese in the early parts of World War II and what it's like for him to realize to go from being a, a kung fu practitioner to being a kung fu trainer. And the story goes on. If you read about him, you see that he became somebody who started schools and ended up being a, a primary trainer to Bruce Lee, for those of you familiar with Bruce Lee. And the movie is sort of part of, of his, the IP man's transformation and his own identity change. Now he realizes who he is and what he's becoming. So there's his story, and then underneath his story is the story of a man who has, who's an upstanding man in this little village, but when the Chinese come in, he becomes a collaborator and a traitor. And then you watch his own transition, too, as later in the movie, his, he has a chance to change his sense of self, who he is. His own identity gets changed near the end of the film. So again, if you haven't watched it, I encourage you to watch it. It's pretty great. If you like Donnie and Rogue Run, he's also the commander in Mulan. For those of you a little younger, you might recognize him that way. This morning as we gather, we're continuing the series that your church and our church has been in on generosity. And by now you've probably caught the rhythm. We receive the lavishness and the bounty and generosity of God. And then we, we spill it out. We share it. We're called to, to share the same generosity we've received with others. And I've been struck this week as we continue this series again and again by several conversations of just how tired and worn we all are. So you may at this point feel like, great, thanks for talking about generosity. I got nothing to give. And so I would encourage you as we come to this passage to present whatever loaves and fishes you have to the Lord this morning and say, okay, Lord, here I am. Would you please help me know that, that I have a little bit. Raise your hand if you feel like all you have is loaves and fishes with the Lord right now. Raise your hand if all you feel like all I have are crackers and a couple raisins. <laughs> that could maybe, okay, so you, here's both my hands. You're in very good company. I was in in 24 hours this week, three different sets of conversations, our parish council, another conversation, and a neighbor on the street, all talking about, man, we're, I'm just so tired. I'm staring blankly at screens or books or walls. So we come together, all of us accumulate together. Lord, here's the generosity. If we pull it together, we might have three fish and a, a box of crackers. Here, Lord, do something this morning. So again, as we come to Matthew 9, here's Jesus in the city of Capernaum, early in his ministry. This is sort of his base of ministry early in this part of his life, or his ministry life. And he's walking through town, and we see him come upon a man named Matthew, right? This is in the Gospel of Matthew, so we believe for sure this is a really great account of Jesus calling somebody, right? Matthew, this tax collector, sitting there. Tax collector at this time, but what Matthew's probably doing is collecting customs on the road from Damascus to Egypt. So this long, very well-traveled road, you pay a fee to travel through. And tax collectors, you probably know at that point, were, were given the responsibility by Rome to collect a certain amount of taxes, but they're given the freedom to assess for whatever tax they wanted. Okay, so let's say Rob Thompson. Love, I love that you just said your name when you got up. That was great. I knew who you were, but maybe everybody did. Let's say Rob's the tax collector. 
okay, and, and you make $100 a year. Let's say Larry Medley makes $100 a year. And Rome says to Rob, I need four bucks a year from every person in Capernaum. I don't care how you get it. So that Rob says, great, I'm going to charge Larry 10 bucks a year. So out of Larry's 100 bucks, Larry knows Rome is getting how much? Four. Rome's getting four, but how much is Rob getting? Six. Do you think Larry, as generous a person as he is before God, would, would be fond of Rob at this point? <laughs> No, because he knows he's getting ripped off. This guy's supposed to just give four to Rome and maybe take two so he makes, you know, a living. But he's charging way more. This is what tax collectors are doing all around the Roman world, particularly in Israel. And we read about them over and over again because they have their own special designation as sinners in the Gospels. You say Jesus is gathering with tax collectors and sinners. Right, so picture if you had your own, whatever your own sp particular sinful struggle is, particularly if it's like, oh, here's the sinners and put your name in, and this person. That's sort of what's happening here. Here's Matthew. And remember, Peter, Andrew, James, John are from the area of Capernaum as fishermen. They were businessmen. They had to pay taxes. It's pretty good chance that some of their taxes are going to, who do you think? Matthew, right? So there's a pretty good chance that Matthew's been ripping off some of the other disciples for years. Now you're Peter and Andrew, you're excited, you're following this guy Jesus. He's healing people, this whole layer of paragraphs before Matthew Niners. Jesus healing people, he's just healed the paralyzed man. Oh, it's so cool to be on Jesus' team. People are watching. You're getting some, you know, affirmation. You're excited, you don't know what's happening. Maybe this is the Messiah. And, and then Jesus calls the least likable person in town to join your posse. How would you feel about that? What kind of generosity would you think Matthew would deserve? And of course, what kind of generosity instead does Jesus extend to him? Jesus says to Matthew, follow me. And it's so transformational that Matthew realizes he can be a different person. His identity begins to shift. And he moves home to his house. And the next paragraph where we read is he's having a party. And he's inviting all his friends who are typically these other particular sinful people, tax collectors and other sinners. Jesus got in trouble because he's feasting with the wrong people. In Israel at this time, there are two categories of people. There's the Orthodox people seeking to love God, and then there's the people considered the people of the land. Okay, people of the land are people like Samaritans and tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners and the people we see Jesus interacting with the Gospels all the time. And if you were somebody who was a person of the land, you were ostracized. The other people weren't supposed to associate you. They certainly weren't supposed to invite you over and you were not supposed to go to their houses. It's actually condoned at the time for you to lie to a tax collector. The Pharisees would say, hey, if you need to lie to a tax collector, if Larry Medley needed to lie about how much money he made so he didn't have to give Rob Thompson as much money, that was seen as okay. People of the land. And what Matthew is doing is hosting a feast with Jesus for the people of the land. Now this gets the Pharisees, what I love one commentator calls the Pharisees here, the serious. It gets the serious upset. The next paragraph, not only do they get mad about how Jesus is feasting, they get mad about him fasting. They say, wait, you're not fasting, we're fasting. John the Baptist is fasting. We fast so much, we make sure everybody knows we're fasting. What's going on? 
And Jesus then gives this overarching metaphor. He said, look, I have not come to save the sick, or the righteous, but the sick. And I, do, I, I bring in a whole new wineskin. The whole way we're doing things, every part of what we're doing is going to be new. It's like having worship out here instead of inside of the auditorium. Literally everything had to be considered and done differently than in there. There's categories of similarity. Hey, you have chairs here, you have chairs there. But otherwise, that chair situation for you is totally new. Jesus is saying, I'm bringing a whole new wineskin. And if you remember on the first sermon in this series, we talked about feasting and lavishness. And Jesus saying in Matthew 8, chapter right before, hey, my feast, my hospitality is going to extend to the north, the south, the east, and the west. People are going to come from everywhere, which is a quote from Isaiah 25. And they heard that and thought, oh, that's cool, just up to the point where he invited Matthew to be one of those people who come from the north, the south, the east, and the west. New way, new look, new practices, new wine, new wineskin. Every way you think you should do something for this new kingdom of mine is different. I'm going to change and form you into a totally new community. Your sense of identity and self is going to be radically transformed. One of the, one of the deepest, joyous implications of the gospel is that what Jesus is doing is forming a kingdom of people for his name to represent his feast on earth. That's you and me. Jesus is forming in us a generous community of surprising people to extend his hospitality to the world. And in this passage, it's an unbelievable look at what that really looks like. And I just want to pull out three things. This is sort of a 1.0. I'm going to talk about the surprising community, and Johnny's going to follow up next week. So this is kind of a two-parter. But three things, three new wineskins Jesus is stitching here I want to touch on. The first thing, in Jesus' new wineskin, they're going to be people you wouldn't expect. Now, we touched on this with Ananias in the first sermon on this series in Acts 9, right? Ananias went to get Paul, who was trying to murder the church. He seemed like an unlikely person to be a part of this surprising community, for sure. And here we see Matthew, literally despised and cursed and ostracized. He, he's like the traitor an IP man who's called by his village the traitor about two thirds through the film that's how he's seen again imagine how it would have felt if you were Simon the Peter or Simon the Zealot anti-Rome to your core so much so that you're known as someone who hates Rome that's your identity and maybe you're in Matthew's house in this big feast with all these other tax collectors and sinners and you're beginning to wonder did my tax money the way I was ripped off pay for this food did my money pay for the carpet that we're kneeling on? Or the chairs we have? Or the clothes Matthew's children are wearing? What, at what point did what happened to me bless Matthew in a way that I didn't want to do? And again, why then is he on the team? In this new wineskin, there are people you wouldn't expect. Now, on the one hand, we see that for ourselves and we think, that's great. I'm so glad I'm one of the people that I wouldn't expect to be in this surprising community, right? Because we all want grace, right? Raise your hand if you'd like grace for yourself. Right? Because you just sang about it. Look through the songs at Spring and a Hat. There's grace like three or four, five, six, seven times. Raise your hand if after you receive grace for yourself, what you really want is justice for everybody else. <laughs> for those of you who didn't raise your hand, you're lying. <laughs> but what we see is that this community isn't just you and Jesus. And what you need to do to step into this text is think about 
Who is the least likely person you can imagine being with Jesus or the person you would least want to be there with? Because in the Pharisees' eyes, the serious eyes, it actually was holy to, to keep yourself removed from Matthew because he's a person of the land. It's actually closer to God to stay away from Matthew in their eyes. The person you justify your hatred of because you feel like there's no way they would be close to Jesus. And in our country, you would, it wouldn't take you long with all we've had happen over the last several years and the last several months to, to picture polls in our own country and say, wow, that would be like this person and this person. I mean, almost the softest anger, even though there was a fight about some of this in our own area in the last 24 hours in a store or a restaurant, would be like someone who believes in a mask, someone who doesn't believe in a mask, someone who got vaccinated in the middle. And wherever you are, put yourself on the spectrum, because you're right, wherever you're on the spectrum, right? We all know that. And then say, Jesus said, hey, great, you know what, on my team is this person, this person, this person. An IP man, if you watch that, IP man's direct antagonist is the Japanese general. If you know the history of the Japanese in that time in World War II, they did some terrible things. And you would go and look, if you want to put a gospel lens on that film, you say, oh my gosh, this would be like the IP man and the Japanese general working together to tell people about Jesus. That's the wineskin here. That's the community you and I are called to be here in Vienna for you guys. What's it look like to be a surprising wineskin, a, a hospitable community that way? People you wouldn't expect. Second wineskin, in this new wineskin there, new disciplines you wouldn't expect. The disciplines to the serious were well known and important, right? They gave alms, they fasted, they prayed. These were the things they used, they did to be lavish to God. And they were lavish to God. Lots of Pharisees fasted twice a week. How many of us took two days this week to offer ourselves that way to the Lord? They're generous in their time, in their tent, in their focus, good things in and of themselves. But of course, if you read through the Gospels, you see Jesus turning those things on their head. What becomes apparent is when they give money, they like people to see how much money they gave. And when they fast and pray, they like people to know, oh, woe is me, I'm fasting. Right? And they, Israel's known as a people who pray, and yet Jesus prays so uniquely that his disciples come and what do they ask him? Hey, teach us how to pray. So Jesus is taking the way they practice life before God and flipping it it's on its head. And what they haven't figured out yet is that in Jesus' new kingdom, this community, our disciplines aren't just about me and my relationship to God, but they're actually about my relationships to my neighbors and the world as well. And he quotes in here Hosea 6 when he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Which again is what we said in the first week of this series. Jesus is more interested in who you bring to the feast than in what you're going to have. Or if whether you fasted before you got there. Now, you might think, well gosh, we touched on this a lot in this series. Yeah, because the Bible touches on it a lot. So you can't go too deep and die before we realize God's saying, hey, guess what again? Your disciplines, your life in lavishness with me, I'm not just doing for you, I'm doing it so those disciplines turn your heart towards what I'm doing. Jesus is about saving a people. Forming a people for his name, people like Matthew, because God's heart, his father's heart is so big, he wants Matthew in it. He wants you in it, and he wants the people you would think are your enemies in it. And he might want you to be the person broad enough in your own generosity to express that for him. 
One commentator says about Hosea 6, God's priority is costly love rather than careful ritual. Again, the serious are more worried about their fasting or whether they can pull their donkey out of a ditch on Sunday than about the people who might need a donkey to get to worship with the Lord. We're supposed to get our hands dirty. So a good question to ask would be, you know, do our disciplines, those things you and I practice to be close and honor God and generous to God, do they consider our neighbors and the Matthews of the world? Are we generous to others on behalf of God, not just generous to God? So first wineskin in this text, again, people are going to be surprised at people we don't expect. Second wineskin, there are going to be disciplines you and I don't expect. And then third and last, you and I are going to be given a new identity that we wouldn't expect. Your first identity now as a person, let's say I come to you and we're together and I say, tell me about yourself. Your first primary identity is now you are a guest and a host. You are a guest and a host. And we see this in Matthew, who is just a total hero of this story. He's a guest, he's a guest at the feast. Remember, Matthew is not invited to feast with anyone. It's considered disobedient to associate with the people of the land. And yet Jesus says, not hello, not let me pray for you, not God bless you, Matthew. Jesus says, follow me, associate with me, be as close to me as these fishermen you've watched following around, come be with me. And Matthew realizes, wow, the primary way I'm going to describe myself for the rest of my life is not a tax collector anymore. The primary way I'll describe myself now is as a guest of the Messiah at the feast. And it transforms his entire life. You know, one of the beautiful, subtle, poetic ways, you know, it's how stories are put together, that we see that in this story. Do you remember where I said this paragraph is positioned? What's happening before and after? Go home and read Matthew 8 and 9. Matthew's writing and telling this story about his own life. Where did I say this was positioned in Matthew 8 and 9? What's happening around it? Physical, miracle, healing stories. Physical, miracle, healing stories. Matthew's saying, you know, right before he got me, he healed this paralytic who couldn't walk. And then he came and he made me a guest at the feast. And then he came and keep reading. It's as important as if Jesus raised someone from the dead to Matthew that he got him up from the tax collector's table. I don't need this. That'll preach all week long. You should think about that all week long. It's beautiful, it's amazing storytelling. You and I usually miss it, but it means his identity is no longer that first thing we wanna say we are. His identity now is as a guest. Now what does he in turn do immediately? He becomes a host. I, I just got healed, I just got brought back from the dead. Hey, I'm gonna get my friends together. Maybe this Jesus guy will actually wanna be in their presence too. He, he might not be liked by other people if he does, and other people might say, why are you with a Democrat, a Republican, someone who voted for that president or that president, or marched in this or didn't march in that or marched in that? I'm gonna get them all together because Jesus seems to be bringing us together in a way that opens our hearts to each other, and I've experienced this generosity. He's a guest and he's a host. 
He's been so generously treated, he's going to pass that hospitality on. Now, the text never tells us, well, Matthew did that because he was an extrovert. And that's why he could do that. Or Matthew did that because he was an introvert. Or Matthew did that because he was whatever on the Enneagram, whatever you might be or not be. It just says Matthew was changed by Jesus and he did it. He's a new person, a totally new identity. He is new wine and he's forming a new wineskin. You and I are the wine and we get together and we stitch together the wineskin. It could be here, it could be in a school, those of you who are in these schools, it could be on the PTA, on the Little League field. You're there to be generous people on behalf of the king, to surprise people with how wide your arms are. This is a quote about hospitality from a book called the Anchor Bible Dictionary, which is sort of a multi-volume Bible dictionary. So those of us who do this have like singular volumes, and then some, we have these multi-volumes. This is on hospitality. It should be noted that Jesus' larger group of followers seems to have functioned as a network for sharing God's eschatological abundance among themselves and for inviting the broader population to join them in this new mutuality. Everybody catch that? Big words. Here's the summary, the last sentence of this paragraph. The Jesus movement was both guest and host of this new kingdom. Heaven's abundance spills on you and we are to spill on the world. Be a generous people. That's our primary identity now. It's not about how we vote or voted. It's not about masks or not masks. The first way you understand yourself is as a guest of the king who's sent to be a host in the world. You could be a host with your time. You could be a host with your words. You could be a host with your money. You could be a host with your front yard, with your tools. You and I are sent to be a host because we've been guests. Now, as we close and we round, I'm going to pray for us in just a minute. I want you to think for a second about this story, because what's clear if you read through the Gospels is that Jesus had noticed Matthew before. I don't think this is a cold call. Boom, come. And I bet he'd seen Matthew on the fringe of crowds because he wouldn't have been welcomed at the front, right? Like Matthew's going to be two cars out hoping he can hear the speaker of this talk if he's here because he's not, he knows you're not going to welcome him, right? And I wouldn't either as an Israelite there. What's clear is that Jesus had known him and seen him and been preparing to extend the generosity of his father to Matthew. And I think that there are people that Jesus is slowly warming to the kingdom that you and I will come into contact this week with. People that you wouldn't expect, just like nobody expected Matthew that day. You know, Jesus had got up for, at the camp of the disciples over and was like, hey, you know what? Today we're going to invite Matthew. They were freaked out. But there are people that you and I will see this week that Jesus will want to invite, that you and I won't know about, but you, you could be a part of and as we go to prayer, I'd love you to take, we're, you're not doing communion, so I'm going to give you a chance to practice when you know. You're going to, as I pray, I want you just to offer your hands to the Lord and say, Lord, here am I. I'm, I'm, I'm overwhelmed by being a guest, and I'm frankly too tired to be a host, and all I got is a can of tuna and a box of raisins to offer to you the king. But I, but I will offer that to you. And maybe the Lord will bring somebody to the mind. Or maybe on Wednesday you'll be somewhere and be like, oh, this is my chance to be generous, and I'm going to do that. Let's pray. 
Dear God, it is stunning that we not only are guests, but that we have been brought together in a family such as this. I am so thankful for this community and the tremendous hospitality I've extended to me for years to come and teach to them. And I thank you for the witness they bear and even for the heart that they offer to you by being here this morning. And we do, together, offer each other. Lord, I can't offer myself very well right now. I know they are tired. We offer each other to you. And as you have brought us in and fed us as guests at your feast, we know that you have hearts for people beyond us. And frankly, our hearts are too small for your heart. And we need you to stretch us and we need you to take the little bit that we offer to you. And, and we wanna be your people in the world. So would you grant us generosity to be surprising communities for you this week? As we go into the world, show us where we can host people with your heart and what we do and say and how we live this week. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.